me to Jeremiah chapter 9 this morning. A challenge to us. I think it's time we're challenged as followers of Jesus Christ in this world. Jeremiah 9, verses 23 and 24 says, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. The New American Standard puts it this way. Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. What are you boasting in today? In this world that we live in, where is our perspective? A biblical dictionary says that the concept of boasting is found frequently in both the Old and the New Testaments. And the object of the boasting determines its nature, whether it's good or bad. See, if it's of God, then the boasting is good. It's commendable. But if it's wrongly applied to yourself or to your own abilities, then it's improper to boast. And if you think about it, the entire scope of biblical teaching about boasting is best summarized in that verse in Jeremiah. that says, if you boast, boast in me. And Paul puts it, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Are we boasting in Jesus? Are we boasting, are we putting our emphasis and our focus on what he's done? Or are we boasting in earthly things? A little background, Jeremiah appears on the scene around 640 B.C. He was called to be God's prophet around 627 B.C., And he prophesied for 40 years, for 40 years, warning about the coming judgment and disaster to the nation. And he appealed in vain to the people. He had basically a, a, a failed ministry, Jeremiah. Because for the most part, no one really heard or wanted to hear what he had to say. People were too busy listening for things that tickled their ears. People were too busy not wanting to hear the truth about God's judgment, but wanting to hear what they wanted to hear. They enjoyed their sinful life too much. They didn't want to give it up. Does it sound familiar? Jeremiah 9, verses 3 through 6 
gives a little bit of, a, of a context. And like, their, and, and like their, their bow, they have bent their tongues for lies. This is speaking of the nation, the people. They are not valiant for the truth on the earth, for they proceed from evil to evil, and they do not know me, says the Lord. They do not know God. Everyone take heed to his neighbor and do not trust any brother, for every brother will utterly supplant and every neighbor will walk with slanderers. Everyone will deceive his neighbor and will not speak the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They, they weary themselves to commit iniquity. Your dwelling place is in the midst of deceit. Through deceit they refuse to know me. Twice. God says, they refuse to know me. He rebukes the people, Jeremiah, for not knowing God. And if people fall into false teachings and go down the wrong path, it's because they don't know God. The result of not knowing God is not desiring truth, but seeking after what sounds good, what feels good. You know, sometimes the truth is not really what we want to hear. Sometimes, though, it's what we need to hear. And imagine a nation or a community where you couldn't trust your neighbor. Speaking of, you know, just where everyone was deceived by everyone else. You know, looking over your shoulder, always wondering what their motives were. A terrible world that would be to live in. So in those chapters of Jeremiah, God charges his people with unfaithfulness. He, but God sees their path, and he sends a prophet, and he sends a warning. See, God's long-suffering and faithfulness is always evident in the scriptures. You know, the, and the prophets do come, and they warn the people. And, but the people like their sin. They like their idolatry. And they like it more than they love God. And many of them don't even want to know God because they know. Like in the world we live in today, how many don't want to hear it, don't want to hear the gospel, don't want to hear anything about the Bible. I think there's a sense there that God's righteousness is going to convict them as it convicted all of us if we, if we came to that point where we realized, as it says in Romans, that we've all fallen short. You know, none of us, none of us live according to God's standards. So the text for today, the two verses, 9, 23, and 24, is one of those warnings. One of those warnings. So we should take heed today to this. God lays out the problem in clear terms, and then he provides the solution. And I love that about the Bible. You know, it just doesn't give us the bad news. It tells us how to get out of it. It always gives us a way of escape. It always shows us the right perspective. So in the first part of verse 23, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Problem one, man's wisdom. Man's wisdom. What's wrong with wisdom? What's wrong with advanced degrees? What's wrong with going to college and, and bettering yourself? What's wrong with man? What's, what's wrong with wisdom? 
Well, man's wisdom is not God's wisdom. Now, those things are not bad in and of themselves, but are we boasting in those things? Is that where we put all of our priority? God speaks very clearly about the wisdom that he wants us to have. Solomon speaks extensively in the Proverbs about wisdom. To, even to such a point where wisdom is personified in, the, in Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, it says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, yes, if you cry out for discernment, so what's that? Wisdom? Understanding and discernment. Wisdom, understanding, and discernment. Three things that we really need in this world. And lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, think about that. If we only desired God's wisdom as much as we do the things of this world. And then what does he say in verse 5? Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. What are we talking about? We're talking about not knowing God as opposed to knowing God. Where do we find the knowledge of God? But in his wisdom, in the scriptures. We find understanding and discernment in the scriptures. And are we seeking God? Are we seeking for his wisdom? Are we crying out for godly discernment? When a problem comes our way, do we just try to solve it on our own? Or do we seek God's wisdom? He knows what you're in need of, the Bible says, even before you tell him. He sees the end from the beginning. He sees your whole life in front of him. Who else would you seek but God? The whole reason that we get together, we gather on Sundays and Wednesdays, and, and some people go to Bible college and really dig in, and then we go to home groups, and you know there are so many opportunities to learn more about God. The reason we get together in those, in the, in, during those times is so that we can know Him better, and we can understand His ways. And so when things do come into our lives and we seek him we can understand and we go to him first not last we go to him first seeking godly wisdom brings him glory think about it we seek his wisdom and he shows us the answer to that problem and we and we give him the glory because we can say god i could never have done this without you I would never have thought of this without you. Lord, you, you gave me the discernment to do the right thing. You gave me the understanding of that situation. You placed your wisdom within me so that I could navigate the things of this world. He gets the glory. So we boast in him when we seek his wisdom. Then the other part of that verse, let not the mighty man glory in his might. Might. Problem number two, man's power, man's might. We want it. 
We want to have it. It makes us feel superior. Gives us a sense of entitlement and privilege. And we can boast in our might or our power or our position. And we can use it to get ahead in this world. And sometimes we use it to get ahead at the expense of others. But, you know, it's a dog-eat-dog world out there. I got the power. I'm going to use it. But the lifeblood of a Christian is doing it by God's power, not our own. If we truly want to know God, we must learn to live in His strength and then give Him the glory for it. In 1 Corinthians 4, verses 18 through 20, it says, Now some are puffed up, Paul writes, as though I were not coming to you. I mean, it's like the, the cat's away and the mice are going to play. You know, Paul wasn't there, you know, and they thought, well, you know, he's never going to make it here. So we're just going to go, do about, do, go about our own business. But I will come to you shortly, he says, if the Lord wills, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the, but the power. For the kingdom of God is in word, not in word, but in power. But in whose power? See, Paul's saying here, talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. What are your actions showing? Are you living in God's power and might, or are you living according to your own power and might? Are you boasting in those things? So that's a test of our walk. Are we trusting enough in God to allow Him to guide us, to, for, to allow Him to empower us? Or do we constantly try to take control of our lives? It's not about our might or our power. In, in Zechariah 4.6. Do you have that, Steve? That next verse? So he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to, to Zerubbabel. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. By my spirit. Are you empowered by God's spirit? If you're a, if you're a Christian today, if you're a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, you've been given the Holy Spirit within you to empower you to walk and live and act according to His ways in this world. And think about the verse in the context, that verse in Zechariah, Zerubbabel was charged with rebuilding the temple after it was destroyed by the Babylonians. But the work had stalled because really the people were sort of going their own way. And he was seeking guidance from God to complete that work. And you should go back to that chapter in Zechariah and see the whole context of the beautiful image that God gives him in completing that work with the, with the, uh, the lampstand and the, and, the, and the olive trees and, and just tapping in to God's power consistently, continually, Never being separated. Remember, we abide in Jesus and, 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 we can, and we can produce much fruit. Separated from the, from the vine, we can do nothing. We have to stay tapped in. So God gives, God gives Zerubbabel a beautiful picture of staying connected 
to the power source, which is God's Spirit. And then anything we do for the Lord, anything we do, glorifies Him. So we don't boast in our own abilities. Now, Spurgeon has a way of saying it that really hits home. The language is a little dated, but listen to what he says. And he's, he's, he's admonishing the churches. O churches, take heed, lest ye trust in yourselves. Take heed, lest ye say, we're a respectable body. We're a mighty number. We're a potent people. Take heed lest ye begin to glory in your own strength, for when that is done, Ichabod shall be written on your walls and your glory shall depart from you. Now, Ichabod. Ichabod means the glory has departed. It's without honor. You're not honoring God when you boast in your own strength. Remember that he who was with us when we were but few must now be with us when we are many, or else we will fail. You know, it's... Sometimes when you, when you, you know, when you have a, a, a group, when, when there's many on your, on your side, in your court, you know, you think you're strong. It's, it's then when you find yourself more and more in need of God's power. And there's so many examples, Samson and Delilah. Remember, Samson had superhuman strength. But he got mixed up in sin. And his strength was removed. He thought his strength was in his, his hair, in something physical. But it wasn't. It was just a symbol. It was a symbol of his commitment to the Lord. It was a symbol of his, his staying faithful and connected to God. And when he started to go down the wrong path, God removed that power. God can remove that power from us if we continue in sin at any time. So back to Jeremiah 9. Problem number three, nor let the rich man glory in his riches. Riches. Now think about all, how, how many of the lottery winners have lost it all and more. I, got, I have two examples here. In the mid-1980s, Evelyn Adams won the lottery twice. Once in 1985 and once again in 1986. Uh, the Jersey native won $5.4 million and reports say that she gambled it all away in Atlantic City. In 1989, Willie Hurt won $3.1 million in the Michigan lottery. Two years later, Hurt was divorced lost custody of his, of his kids, was charged with attempted murder, and picked up a bad crack cocaine addict, addiction that cost him all of his money. You know, it's not about the dollar in the dream. You know, it's about God's riches. First Timothy puts it in a way that you probably will recognize. Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we carry nothing out. You know, the old saying, you can't take it with you. 
And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which can drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, which, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Listen, money in and of itself is not the problem. But are you boasting in your riches? Or are you thanking God each and every day for what you have? You know, we saw that video. There are some that really have nothing in this world. Nothing. You know, we need to... It's a, it's a perspective check, I think, today. We're, we're supposed to produce, uh, pursue godly things in this world, the fruits of the Spirit, not get caught up in all of the things that the world claims to offer us. So we saw the things we were not to boast in, Right? We're not supposed to boast in our wisdom, in our wisdom, in our might, or in our riches. So those are the, those are the problems. And you've got to admit, they're there. But the solution, the solution, I love it, because God gives us the answer here. In verse 24, Let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. Understands and knows me me. You see, with a proper understanding of God and a, and a desire to seek to know him better, you know, understanding doesn't mean that we're ever going to have him figured out, you know, because he's beyond our knowing. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts higher than our thoughts. You know, so it's a lifelong pursuit. But to glory or boast in God and the fact that he's given us his word and he's revealed himself through his word to us. Understanding the Hebrew word sakhal, to be prudent, to be circumspect, to look upon or have insight, to give attention to, to consider, to ponder. Are we doing that about God? Are we giving consideration to God? Are we giving Him attention? Are we pondering His Word and His ways? And again, it's, it's a lifelong pursuit. It's something that we do day by day. We'll never fully understand on this side of eternity everything about God. You know, it says we, we see now dimly, but then it shall be revealed. You know, in, in the next in, in eternity, we, we shall know him as we are known. We shall see him face to face. But here on this side of eternity, there are a lot of things we don't understand about God, like, like you know, illnesses or, or, or other situations, circumstances that come into our lives and, and we don't understand. We don't, we don't get it. But we need to seek that, seek that understanding. And then he says, let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, knows me. The Hebrew word for know is yada. It's to perceive or acknowledge, to be acquainted with. 
to be acquainted with. I love that. Knowing God means we're acquainted with His character. That we could rightly say what His heart would be in a matter. Think about it. It's like saying, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? How would Jesus approach the situation? Giving consideration to that is knowing God. Because we know. So when things come up in the culture and in society, we can confidently say, we know how God would want us to respond to that. We know what Jesus would do in that situation. We know when the culture starts to turn away from God. We recognize it. We understand it. How many things recently have come up in the culture that just question our faith? Because they make it sound so reasonable and so tolerant. How would God want us to respond to these things? These are the challenges in these two verses. And if we don't have the knowledge of God, how, do we, how could we possibly navigate this world? We'll be guessing at every turn. When something comes up, when people have a conversation with us, how can we respond if we don't know God? How could we possibly express God's heart to someone if we don't know Him? If we don't understand Him? And there are more and more people that have questions. Have questions. You know, what, would, what does the Bible say about this? You know, you're a Christian. How would you deal with this problem? What do you think about this court decision? You're a Christian. What does the Bible say? We need to know. We need to have an answer for the hope that is in us, the Bible says. And it is revealed. In Matthew 11, I think just verse 27, if you have it there. If not, if not I'll read it. All things have been delivered to me. Jesus is saying, by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. Jesus wants to reveal the Father to you and I. Jesus is praising the Father for that special relationship that He has with Him. And then He declares the fact that as believers, we participate in that relationship. How awesome is that? We get to participate in that seeking of the knowledge of God. And God is revealed to us by Jesus and the Holy Spirit, who would be our helper, Jesus said, in spiritual things. How else could we know if we don't have the Spirit within us? You know, many people will say, I just don't understand the Bible. It's just, I, you know, I read it and I don't get it and, you know, it seems so, you know, vague and, and strange. Well, do you have God's Spirit that who reveals those things to you? Do you have the Helper who teaches? The Bible said that the Holy Spirit is, it teaches us. In 1 Corinthians 2, Verses 12 and 13. Paul writes, Now we have received 
Not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Why? That we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Know, that we may know. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, again, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. See, this is how we gain knowledge of God. But do you have the Holy Spirit within you? If you're a believer, you do. If you're not a believer, you don't. And many of the things that the Bible teaches, you will not understand. It will be difficult. It will be very difficult. But God's Spirit teaches and reveals. And then in the second part of verse 24, again, we boast in Jesus, we boast in God, we boast in the knowledge and the understanding of who He is. And this is who He is. This is His character. That I am the Lord, the exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. We talked about wisdom and might and riches as being the problems. Now we see loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness as being the solution. God's character clearly revealed in the words of Scripture. He's, he's, he exercises grace and mercy loving kindness, long-suffering. He desires that no one should perish. He wants, he wants all to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's his heart. That's his character. Understand it. And then when we understand God's character, we're supposed to go out into this world and exhibit it and be examples of it, be ambassadors of Jesus. That loving kindness that grace and mercy. The image of Christ to the world who's in such a need. But part of that also is to recognize that part of our mission in this world, as it was in Jeremiah's day, is that we need to let people know that there will be judgment. He exercises loving kindness, yes, because that's, that's the God that we serve. But he also will exercise judgment on those who reject him. So our message to the world needs to be twofold, really threefold. We need to let people know God is merciful. He's, he's gracious. As Pastor Joe said, he loves the prodigal. He loves those who knew him and walked away. He loves those who never knew him. He loves the ones that are seeking him. He desires for them to be saved. But he's also going to be faithful to judge. How else could he be? That's his character. That's who he is. So it should give an urgency to the message. It should give an urgency to when we speak to people about God. That we have to combine all of those things together so people understand a full picture of who God is. And then righteousness. 
And then righteousness because God is perfectly righteous. Not like some corrupt judge who will make decisions based on his own self-interest. But he's fully righteous in his judgments, in his dealing with mankind. There will be no question, there will be no question in eternity of whether God was righteous in his judgment. If you, if you don't see somebody in eternity, it's because God was righteous in his judgment. And it may surprise some of us. And it may surprise some of us who we do see in eternity. You know, because sometimes we, we see things, we don't, we don't look at the heart. You know, the Bible says man looks at the outside. Right? God looks at the heart. Sometimes we just see the, the facade. We don't see what's going on in someone's, in someone's soul. But God will be righteous to deal with, with mankind. So the good things to boast in. Knowing God. Understanding God. And then exhibiting loving kindness and, 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 and expressing you know, speaking the truth in love, it says in Ephesians. Speaking the truth in love. Do we speak the truth and then, you know, and then code it with love so people can, so it's palatable to people. We need to do that. Speak the truth in love. Yes, God is loving. Yes, He's merciful, but He's also going to judge and really, it's about, it's about eternity. It's about, it's about salvation. Because if we don't know God, we can't be saved. And just one more verse in John 17, as Jesus is praying, and this is eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ to you, whom you have sent. What's eternal life? Knowing God. Knowing God. As the worship team comes up, I'm going to give you an opportunity. We discussed before the fact that we can't really know God unless we have a spirit within us. Understanding and knowledge, wisdom and discernment can't come in our own strength. So we'll just... This is eternal life that, you may, that they may know you. That prayer is for us here today who don't know. Whoever is in this room or within the sound of my voice,